0: What's great is when you have the ability to let go of what you think is great about you, let go of those postures and still stand in your greatness or stand connected to your highest self and in your purpose and in service to others.
1: Hello, 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 and welcome back to Dharma Talk. This is episode number 24, and I'm your host, Henry Winslow. To you repeat listeners, the Dharma Talk community... Thanks for bearing with me for the past two weeks. We had a little bit of a break there. And for the new listeners out there, thank you for for tuning in for the first time. I'm so excited to have you listening to Dharma Talk. I just got back from a almost month of traveling through Southeast Asia and the Philippines and Thailand and while it was refreshing and eye-opening to go out and see a new part of the world I had never visited I am very relieved to be back in the US in the comfort of home. I have reliable Wi-Fi and all the comforts of my Western technology once again which means we are back to our regular schedule new episodes every single Thursday of Dharma talk. But the fun and travel doesn't stop for me here. Next up for me is a cross-country road trip from California back to home in New York. If you want to follow along with my travels and um, what happens along the way, you can always find me on Instagram. I post little updates on my stories and posts. You can check that out at Henry Winds. But enough about me and what's going on in my world. I want to tell you about the guest this week. And my guest this week, who you heard from in that little snippet, is Kim Tang. Kim is one of these yoga teachers who has got a real loyal following and someone who was requested quite a lot by you listeners out there. And what that tells me is this is someone who's really mastered the art of human connection. And that's what yoga really is all about this is union i mean beyond all the postures and the breathing exercises it's about connecting to one another so this is someone we can all really learn from this conversation is very wide-ranging uh, we talk about how to develop the skill of intuition and put yourself in a position to receive guidance on what's next for you and your life we talk about why it's so important to forgive everyone, and how to know if you've truly reached forgiveness. We talk about identifying and embracing your unique essence, and Kim has a very specific definition of what essence means, so that you can leverage your strengths. And then we talk about this idea of spine-centric versus mind-centric yoga, and a shift in perspective that Kim has gone through personally. and why Kim worked her way up to holding a 60-minute wheel pose. That's a fun story and I think very characteristic of her as a person. So lots to learn from this interview. I hope you all enjoy it very much. Just stick around through these announcements and we'll dive right into an interview with Kim Tang. Yogis, as we dive into fall, I've got a whole series of events and workshops I'm excited about and I hope that you can join me for First up is over Labor Day weekend at Lighthouse Yoga School in Brooklyn, New York, there are still a couple spots left for our immersion, which I am leading along with my friends Aviad Sasi and Jared McCann. This is a four-day intensive yoga study, similar to a teacher training, but compressed and without the teaching practice. Then on September 15th, I am teaching a backbending for health and joy workshop at Yoga and Fitness Herald Square that's in manhattan and then in november i've got two back-to-back weekends of workshops in richmond virginia one at the yoga dojo and then again at bikram yoga richmond along with my wife veronica so if any of those appeal to you i hope our schedules line up you can check out the event details at henrywinds.com slash events what's your purpose what's your vision What mark will you leave on this planet long after you're gone? I'm Henry Winslow, and you're listening to Dharma Talk, the only podcast where I interview inspirational yogis on how they're changing the world in their own unique ways. Whether you're still searching for your purpose or already walking the path, I hope these stories get you excited to live your dharma. Hello, Dharma Talk community, and welcome back to another episode of Dharma Talk. This week, I've got my new friend, Kim Tang, on the line. When Kim Tang discovered Bikram Yoga in 2003, a fire was lit within her to inspire and empower others in their ability to change their minds, bodies, relationships with themselves, and the consciousness with which they conduct their lives. Her practice borrows from multiple lineages and limbs of yoga, and she believes the body is a learning device for the mind she's worked wholeheartedly to open and strengthen her own body and the bodies of her students. Kim has been a student, teacher, studio owner, presenter, demonstrator and champion of yoga and she's here to support your expansion. Kim, thank you so much for joining me on Dharma Talk today. How are you?
0: Uh, my pleasure. I'm so good. Thanks, Henry. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. Great. It's nice it was nice to see you in our little video chat before we <laughs> turned on the recording
0: yeah i wish we could do the whole thing like that eye to eye but i understand that bandwidth thing so yeah Yeah. all good
1: (laughs) well kim let's just dive straight into the interview because we always start with the same first question that kind of lays the groundwork for our conversation and that's this what does the word dharma mean to you and what is your dharma as you understand it today
0: Mm, okay well in preparation for this interview I listen to your podcasts, and of course all the guests are in agreement that dharma is some version of your life's purposed, purpose, your highest purpose, your right path. So I've been thinking a lot about it. And I believe that your fullest potential and your soul's purpose already reside within. And by aligning your um, egoic identification of self of self as separate, your personality to the greater part of who you are. That's how you live your dharma. So um, I would call dharma that just innate desire to be fully expressed on every level of your being, so fully expressed through the mind, and or through the body, and or through the heart, and or through the spirit, which makes you feel very alive, and to your fullest capacity, which ultimately means uh, in service both to yourself and others, and which continues to expand as you align to it. So, as you align to the truth of who you are, then your ability to manifest, I think, increases, and that's what we commonly call being in the flow.
1: In the flow, yes. So what makes you feel in the flow right now?
0: Uh, Well, I'm gonna say my dharma currently is much more about a state of being. Um, State of being connected to your highest self and coming from love and service to others. So far more about a state of being than about an action or, um, so we could say more than doing or having my dharma is a state of being, being more than doing or having. And so, although I came to this through the path of yoga, I believe that I'm in my dharma. Um, no matter what I'm doing in, in any given capacity, right right now I could be in my dharma because I'm connected to my highest self coming from love and service. And uh, by the way, I think that what I would add to that is that, you know, as I go through this more and more and I address myself, self cultivation, uh, I address myself on every level of being, then my life is far more guided by Um, maybe two key ingredients that have really changed things for me. So one of those I'm going to say is intuition, and the other I'm going to say is pure time. So intuition, I'm now likening to like the cues that the universe presents to you when you are in pure time, coming from love, connected to your highest self in service, then the universe actually presents to you exactly what your dharma is. And I really find that I'm living that now. So as my life now being more guided by intuition, I kind of very loosely make my plans. My plans are almost more like just a guideline or an outline, but I'm always tuned into what the universe presents. And I accept that is exactly what's uh, actually meant to be Mm -hmm. (laughs) in my life.
1: So, um,
0: you know, my... Yeah, my dharma um, is frequently in the form of teaching yoga, and I'm going to say that when my dharma is in the form of teaching yoga, it is always done in pure time and in a field of trust, which I think facilitates the highest transformation for others, and also addressing students on every level of being, not just the physical. So I like to say that... um, while we can be masterful at conducting the posture, which you know you know we can, it's not about the posture. The posture is just the tool you use to get there and the indication that you have.
1: <laughs> so I understand exactly what you mean by um, being guided by intuition, letting the, uh, the cues come from outside of yourself. You mentioned another principle that sort of guided you toward your dharma, and that was this idea of pure time. Can you explain what you mean by that exactly? Yeah,
0: that's really important. I'm living my life like that right now. And part of the reason I'm able able to do that is because I no longer uh, own a studio. So I'm not really um, conducted by the clock so much as I used to be with schedules and other people's times and things like that. Um, I can tell you the way I live right now is that I want to say more than 95. I mean, I'd like to say 99% of the time I am in pure time, which means to me that I'm doing exactly what i want to be doing with exactly who i want to be doing it with (laughs) you know and and i have uh, very little awareness of what has already transpired or what hasn't transpired yet so the ability to again just connect to your highest self come from love in pure time is what really helps facilitate uh, transformation uh, in yourself in your life and for your students
1: Mm, i see Really, to me, that sounds like being 100% present with what you're choosing to do at any given time.
0: And on every level of being. So not just the body, not just the mind, right? But with your energy and everything that you are, it's it's that personality thing. I think that when your personality is tuned into your highest self, you're actually harnessing a higher power. And I think that that's when we're in the flow and that's when things can come. Mm-hmm. Um, things in the form of thought inspiration. Uh, things in the form of maybe a breakthrough in a posture, so uh, something of the body, uh, of the mind, of the heart, any realization, anything that you might call a miracle. It really happens by letting go of planning and being fully present on every lo- level that you are, you know, and, and coming from love and creating space for those things to happen. And by the way, recognizing them when they do, hearing them when they when they do. That's the biggest part of the intuition is. Mm-hmm. You have a thought, and you know that that thought was actually a, th- a thought can be a manifestation, right? The right thought in the right moment is a manifestation, and so I'm good at hearing those thoughts now. And, um,
1: and would you that's say where that's a, happens. <laughs> is that is that a skill to be developed over time? Is that something that one can practice?
0: Um, I here, I think here's a way I want to respond to your question. Sure. Um, I've done like a lot, like a lot, 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 lot of spiritual work and most especially engrossed in the past, um, few years and, you know, we, we've already, you know, heard it and we all kind of agree that the greatest part of spiritual expansion comes from letting go and letting go is letting go of all kinds of things, any number of things. And, uh, that can be in the form of letting go of fear, letting go of, um, limiting beliefs or precognitive agreements um, made from fear. Um, It can be letting go of uh, your identity, which might be born in culture. It might be born in uh, heritage, family, uh, socioeconomic, you know, religion, you know, whatever it is that you think you are, letting go of all of those things and connecting. You understand that the greatest part of you has no nationality and the greatest part of you has no um degree and no um, yeah socioeconomic status the greatest part of you by the way is the greatest part of me and when we all tune into that then then uh, and learn to tune into it and hear it and listen to it then and not only, tune into it, hear it, listen to it, but take action, make decisions, even spend money and and plan your schedule based on it. That's when you have it. So when you say, is it a skill that can be developed? I think my answer is, it's not a skill that is developed in, let's say, the left hemisphere of the brain, the the, um, identification of self as separate, or the egoic or personality small self. I think that it is something that can be developed in your right brain, your connection to divinity. And I think it's developed by the spiritual work and letting go of who you think you are. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah.
1: So Kim, I know that you mentioned earlier that your gateway into this whole kind of philosophy of living was through physical yoga practice. I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey and, and how you kind of took one step ahead, one step ahead, one step ahead until you got to where you are now. Was there kind of a moment along the way there where something clicked and Suddenly, there was more to it than the physical side of the practice.
0: Mm, definitely, I've had uh, multiple moments where things clicked, and there were more and more available uh, than the physical practice. Mm-hmm. So, um, typically, I begin my story just before I started yoga, but I think my story starts earlier than that. I think it um, starts in my childhood. Uh, I had a lot of adversity in my childhood, <laughs> not not uncommon, right? and um had anguish i had fear i had limiting beliefs i grew up in texas and i had these you know southern baptist grandparents and there was just a was just a lot going on there and um my mother grew up with a lot of struggle and a lot of uh suffering and and ultimately ironically it was her that introduced me to yoga really early on um She, uh, I remember she had like a brass pyramid in the living room and, you know, a Buddha candle on her dresser. And when I was, you know, nine or 10, she used to say, here, sit in the pyramid, you're doing yoga. And I would say, well, what do I do? And she'd say, nothing, you just sit there. It was, what do you mean just sit here? And of course, I was a child with, you know, a low attention span and whatnot, and I never got it. And uh, yeah, I'm not sure if she ever did or not, but even back then, um, she was onto something and that was my earliest introduction. Um, I will say that back then I used to hear my mother whispering to people and she'd say, ah, she's very perceptive. And I knew then that that meant I was very intuitive because even then I could kind of articulate adult concepts and read between the lines and know what people meant no matter what they said and, you know, or maybe what they didn't say and, you know, and all of those types of things. Um, so that was really Probably the very first and earliest introduction and then much later on in my life when I felt that I had gotten what you might call um, Off the path or on a detour and I will tell you by the way the detours are not detours. I think as it turns out <laughs> uh, It 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 goes along that she marries my my father dies It's a long and complex story and then she marries this religious science minister and and as an 11-year-old, I actually took the first two years of the Ernest Holmes Science of the Mind course to become a religious science minister. And uh, then, you know, got off the path again, another detour, which, you know, turns out isn't a detour. (laughs) And then I found my way back to yoga. And now I didn't, I actually hadn't really realized this or connected to all of this, but I, uh, as a young woman, I became a marathon runner. And I think that uh, running marathons early on was my earliest form of meditation because I did my best like thought sorting, goal planning, life setting, you know, mind clearing, connecting to breath. That that was my early meditation was running marathons. And I had this friend who said, oh, you gotta go to yoga, you gotta go to yoga. And I thought, yeah, yeah, it would be good to stretch because supple muscles are far less prone to injury, but I gotta get my cardio, right? And I, like many other people, thought that yoga was really just a stretch class in a hot room. And still, um, I I eventually came to it. I mean, she must have kept at me for at least a year before I took the first class. And uh, I was an average student, I'd say, maybe above average, just by virtue of being such a hard worker. Um, But I had to get my cardio. And you know, my teacher was saying to me, You gotta come every day, you gotta come every day. And I felt like, Yeah, yeah, talk to the hand, I gotta get my cardio. <laughs> well, I wasn't getting it. Now, having said that, I was at this place in my life where my mother, who I, I mentioned before, turned out to be my biggest karmic karmic relationship in my life up until that point. And I had a lot of forgiving to do. I really had a lot of forgiving to do. I didn't know it until I heard actually one day I turned on the Oprah Winfrey show and Oprah said, (laughs) forgiveness is a gift you give yourself and not because, you know, they deserve it, but because you deserve to be liberated. And somehow I just heard the right words at the right time. And I realized kind of the burden that I carry and, and I wanted liberation from that burden and but I didn't know how to forgive and I also didn't know how to know you have forgiven somebody who has passed because normally if you're mad at someone they walk in the room and you still feel it then you know you're mad and then you know if they walk in and you feel at peace and joyful and then then you know you've let go of it but how do you know if you've forgiven someone who's passed so now I'm at this time in my life I know I need I know I need to forgive I know why but I don't know how and I don't know how to know when that I have so I'm going to this Bikram yoga class and I'm going like once a week because i got to get my cardio, but I'm a really hard worker and I'm in a camel pose and I'm ready to forgive and let go. And in the middle of this pose, I start crying. And I want to, you know, sometimes students have a reaction when they have an emotional response, they react to the emotional response and they maybe shut it down or try to hide it. Or they say, why am I crying? It doesn't make sense. Or, you know, any number of things can happen. I didn't do that. I just cried, and I actually recognized it right away as like the release I had been looking for and hoping for. So I turned around, I lied down on my mat, and I just cried. I didn't call attention to myself. I wasn't dramatic, nor did I try to stop it. I just cried quietly until the crying subsided, and then I turned around, got up, and completed the class. But when I left the class on that day, I actually knew not only that I had forgiven, but I also knew how to know that I had forgiven and that was up until kind of like quite literally the moment that I stepped into that room on that day. I was super attached to my story. I was super attached to my pain. And I had a lot of it. I had a lot of adversity growing up as a kid. And um, combined with my Scorpio nature, which, by the way, Essence is another really good story for us to talk about, um, I would literally, like, make you listen to my story. And sometimes it started even before Mm -hmm. I was born. And now, when I had that really good cry, first of all, I had this extremely profound realization. I realized that the story that I was so attached to, that I would make you listen to, and you don't understand me unless you've heard my story, and, you know, you don't know what I've been through, and, you know, all, all the business that I was very attached to, it wasn't even my story to tell. That was actually my mother's story. And, first of all, children are really naturally um, development developmentally narcissistic. And that means that whatever happens, they think whatever happens around them happens to them. And I definitely thought that all that stuff that happened around me happened to me. And I took it in as part of my story and who I was. And I, you know, as thinking that 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 was who I was, I projected into the world to kind of recreate my pattern and my, you know, In my life. So first of all, realizing that that's not even my story to tell was enormously liberating. But also, then I had this like crazy compassion from my mother going, Oh, my God, the way she struggled. Oh, my God, the way she suffered. And, um, Bottom line is that when I had that experience, the story just evaporated. (laughs) I felt the opposite. I felt like actually that story isn't mine to tell and it's not who I am. And actually, if you knew that story, you wouldn't even know me. And that's not what I want you to know of me because that's not who I am. And, you know, it's just really empowering. It was a way of like wiping the slate clean. But through this forgiveness that came through yoga through, you know, the think of the camel pose is the maximum compression of the spine deepest back bend that we do in the beginner level class. Then I knew, aha, this is not just a stretch class in a hot room. We are on to something here. And that is when I started reading every single thing that I could get my hands on, and not just Bikram yoga, but all books, all lineages, and especially all eight limbs and the more esoteric aspects of yoga. So I think that the the earliest and most profound moment when I knew that there was something to it came to me in the form of a good cry during a deep backbend when I was ready to forgive. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think that's that story.
1: You know, yeah. You know what I love so much about that story, actually, is that it's kind of a story about a story. Where you didn't have one, you thought you had one, but in realizing and letting go of this false story that you were telling yourself, you actually kind of came into a new understanding of yourself and gave yourself a new story of realization, of epiphany, which was a much more uplifting and powerful one to kind of take you forward into the rest of your life.
0: Yeah, that was just the foundation right there. It just built and built and built from there. So like I said, I had so many moments where I realized just almost like leveling up. I have always uh, leveled up in my life and that leveling up not only in my practice, you know, but in every aspect of my life always comes from connecting the highest self, letting go of fear and, you know, all of that kind of spiritual work that I talked about. So actually um, there was one other little part of it that I would love to include. And that, yeah, that is that, that story that I was attached to comes with uh, a lot of different moving parts because I now believe that what we're meant to do is not only and by the way this is the best reason to have a mirror in the room and look straight into your own eyes you know don't even blink is because we're there to learn to love ourselves exactly exactly as we are so that we can learn to love others exactly as they are and to accept ourselves exactly exactly as we are so we can learn to love and accept accept others exactly as they are and this uh, leads me to the story of what i would call um essence and remember i grew up in this you know And a lot of it had a lot of um, agreements, even fear, a lot of limiting beliefs, just kind of a lot of stuff masking the truth of who I am. And, you know, so we so we've already talked about that part of it. Well, as I was growing up, people used to always say about me, (laughs) people used to always say, she's so intense. Oh, my God, she's so intense. She's so intense. And they would always say I was so intense, but they would always say it with this certain tone of voice. And I always it's it's an an accusation like like, yeah, I would say like, what the hell is the matter with me? I'm so intense. Right. It's almost like no one can handle me. I don't there must be something wrong with me. And um, part of my leveling up, part of my connecting to my higher self, part of um, aligning to the truth of who I am is actually learning to accept the essence of my being, which, by the way, is intensity. Um, Listen, depth and intensity have always been my comfort zone. That is my what do they call that a roundhouse or something like that. Um, That's like who I am when I'm not trying who I am when I'm not thinking who I am when I'm just being I'm naturally intense, I'm naturally deep. And that's who I am and how I am. And I think I used to apologize for that a lot. But it turns out that when you accept yourself, exactly as you are, then you understand that the essence of who you are when you're not trying is your strength. It's your greatest gift. And when I had that realization, I intuitively immediately understood how to access and harness the power of that intensity and that depth to be deliberate about the creation that is my life, both in my practice and you know, off the mat. But there's even another important part that I want to tell about it, because always my stories are not about me. Always my stories are for the benefit of someone else. So I have this um, very, very dear friend. And I was telling her this story of how I came to love and accept my essence, which tends to be depth and intensity. And as she was hearing this, I felt like she was getting a little withdrawn and a little kind of kind of a uh, Constricted, and I'm like, hey, what's up? And she said, well, you know, I don't have depth and intensity. And so she was perceiving it as if depth and intensity is my strength and she doesn't have depth and intensity, then that's her weakness. So I said, no, 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 you missed the point here. Your essence is your strength, and your essence happens to be that you are gentle and you are elegant and you are kind and your gentleness and your elegance and your kindness and compassion, that is your strength, right? Right. So to be able to connect to your strength and, um, and accept other people that their essence, in fact, is their strength as well is, you know, something that I learned from really looking in the mirror, single point of focus, don't even blink your eyes, you might lose the balance. So you know, the story goes on and on and on and the, and the lessons are never ending in the form of that journey, you know, through the self to the self.
1: Well, if, if I may, I'll, I'll take that a little bit further and and just say that. You know, when you recognize what your true essence is, when you're relaxed being yourself and not manipulating your personality for the benefit of others. Yes, like you said, you recognize that that's your strength that you can lean into. But I think you also will start to see that other people start um, to appreciate you a little bit more, too. Because if you're putting on an act, then it's never going to it's never going to meet. Anyone's standard because it reads inauthentic, but if you can be yourself. Yes, you can probably Repel certain people from your life, but you will attract other ones who are connected to you
0: There's just no question about that. That's probably the you know, the very meaning of authenticity, right? Is just aligning to your true self being an acceptance of your true self and you know coming from love and loving exactly who you are mm-hmm. and It creates a sense of ease for other people, right? And it's also that thing. It gives them permission to be exactly who they are. So you take the ego out of that equation, you take the fear out of that equation, you take the trying too hard out of that equation, then, you know, that's where the magic happens.
1: Yeah. Kim, can you take us to a moment, um, maybe another story, maybe another, uh, another more recent event, who knows, um, that, where you hit a, a wall, living your dharma, being of service, where you really struggled to come from that intention that you described, where everything is is out of love and and service, and then what did you do to kind of get yourself back into the path?
0: Yeah. Um, I have a few in mind. I'm trying to think of which one to tell, but I'm going to tell one of the earlier stories. Sure. And um, I think that I can tell you with all certainty that in my life, my biggest challenges have become my biggest wins. Because I believe that what matters is not what happens, but how you respond to what happens. And everything will be what you make it and you get to choose.
1: Exactly. And and that's why none of those detours are actually detours. (laughs) That's exactly
0: right. And so um, I came to a point in my practice and it was kind of early on when I found myself without a studio to practice in. And um, it was actually in the midst of training for one of the, you know, yoga asana championships, and I really cared about the guidance of my teacher and the support of my community, and so it felt like a hefty blow at the time. And it took me, you know, a minute to really regroup. And what I ended up doing was, I have this room in my house. It's just about like ten feet by ten feet, and I put a big mirror in there, and I put, I just closed the opening. Uh, there's not a door there it's just an opening and I closed it off with a couple of layers of heavy duty painters tarp um, staple gunned into the drywall and a couple of you know cheap little heaters and a big mirror and what I started doing is what I call putting my postures under the microscope and on any given day I would pick a posture and I would do 10 sets at least and the thing is that I call it under the microscope because I would do a posture let's say standing head to knee And if I would fall, I would freeze there. And I would say, okay, well, which way did I fall? I would look at my position. I'd say, so which way did I fall? How did I fall? Why did I fall? And now how do I fix it? So I would make that adjustment, do it again, and check it out, make that adjustment, do it again, check it out, make that adjustment, do it again, check it out. And I was checking out the tiniest things like, you know, distribution of body weight on the feet or the relationship between the pelvis as it travels distally. And I became my own best teacher. There's just no question about that. That I think that that ultimately made me become, you know, what I would consider source, um, I had never been taught the things that I was able to teach myself or learn through observation of doing it again and again and again and looking that closely. So it was something that presented as like devastating or disappointing or traumatic to find myself practicing on my own in a home practice. And it became the most transformative self-cultivation that I now share in my seminars, by the way, that standing head to knee clinic that I do is a direct translation from, you know, that time in my life when I was putting my practice under the microscope and I'm sharing those deep and subtle nuances with other people. So that's how a a challenge ended up being like the best thing that ever happened to me and also a form of service.
1: That's a really cool story, and um, yeah, I can definitely relate to that, too. I, I never wanted to have to um, develop a personal home practice, but, you know, life happens. you got to travel sometimes. You're not in a place where you know the teachers or, or whatever the case may be, and it is really powerful to get inside your own body in that way. It's it's nice to be yeah, told what to do, mind, of course, but yeah, to, to I... be able to connect your mind and body on your mat and give yourself the direction to move each step through the postures and, and everything else that comes up along the way too without guidance is is an important challenge for every yogi to go through, I think.
0: Yeah, I want to say every time that I've had big challenges like that, that I responded to, you know, connecting to my highest self and coming from love and ultimately making it into service, I always get confirmation from the universe in some form that always delights me. And so the net result of that, you know, time that I spent putting my practice under the microscope, it was the first year that I won, uh, the state of California (laughs) Mm -hmm. and um let me see that was when it was in San Diego and it was at teacher training and the you know the 400 students at training were required to attend so (laughs) so (laughs) it was a big big trigger to my nervous system but it was definitely confirmation from the universe of the work that I had done and that as it that it was as it was meant to be and all of those things so yeah so
1: yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) and that actually that reminds me um I should say for the for the listeners, we met for the first time in person. We both were kind of like aware of each other, I guess, um, from the internet and, and the modern age. But um, we met in person recently at the USA Yoga event this year. And I introduced myself and you said, hold on a second, I pulled out your phone and flipped through the the photo gallery and had a picture that you had found of me that you had annotated and marked up with very geometric corrections to one of the postures that I plan to do in my routine. And that really stuck with me. You have such a, um, you know, for someone who brings a lot of perspective into your yoga practice and obviously has so much more knowledge beyond what's physical, you have a very acute and and almost mathematic appreciation for the postures. And I thought that was really cool.
0: I am going to say mathematic. I'm going to say sacred. Or geometry is probably a great word here, and your postures can be graphed, and most especially the standing balancing postures, you can graph them in a field of equilibrium, right? So, I mean, what you make me want to say is that at some point I, you know, moved on in my practice, I opened a studio, and I think that. Um, Well, when I opened a studio is when I probably experienced my greatest uh, growth and transformation because I was in that room uh, i think really you know made highest and best use of the platform because i was in that room in what i came to call creation where i was my own teacher and i you know i had actually had come through a practice where i was told by some of my teachers you can't do this and you have to do that you can't do this and you have to do that and when i did really tune into myself and my truth and my essence and my highest voice i really let go of all of that and i just tuned into the question how can i and i was so inspired in my practice and in my life that i would fall asleep at night just like visualizing dreaming of everything I wanted to do and I would think of it how can I how can I how can I and I would create this way and I couldn't wait to get there in the morning and fold the towels teach the classes you know do all the things and then get into that room with just the question of how can I and willing to do the work and so I think that what I had a lot of was um, what you would call like learning the rules in order to expand beyond the rules Mm. so I wouldn't say I wouldn't say break the rules there's something a little rebellious about that so you need to have the etiquette you need to have the foundation but once you have have the foundation you are meant to expand beyond it right and I definitely did that in my life and uh, just with the question how it, can I I eventually created you know I mean actually you know some version of every single thing in some form um, through my body that was my greatest growth and expansion but I realized then that yeah let me say that maybe up until that time I thought that yoga was spine-centric But when I was in my room in creation, I had the full realization that yoga is what I would call mind centric. And that's when I started saying things like the consciousness with which you conduct your practice is the same as the consciousness with which you conduct your life. And I started talking about people on other levels of being because that's actually, I was sharing myself in the form of my practice. That's actually what I was experiencing is I got to tell you something, the body is the easy part. Um, I believe that the body is just malleable space and water and it'll basically do anything you tell it to do if you have the right um, ingredients. But the mind is really where I think the the heavier work uh, takes place. And I definitely like to teach on the level of the mind. I talk on the level of the mind and I I think that that's where the practice really is. Um, And that also is another time when I realized, you know, kind of like leveled up on my practice and had a greater level of allowing and a greater level of realization. And yeah, at that point, I was almost like assigning values to postures. Like I think that in life, every single thing is the value that you assign it. And so when I was working on these postures and remember, you know, I've I've, I've done a thing or two, so I know a thing or two. And as I was doing that, um, I had assigned a value to it. And as I was achieving it, I was feeling that I was in realization of the value that I had assigned to the posture. So, again, it was like the posture is just the tool we use to get there and the indication that we have, but it's not about the posture. And I just kind of learned that over and over and over. And then when I started addressing my practice on the level of the mind, then I started to meld consciousnesses. And then I was definitely I mean, I've been. I've got to tell you, I've been having fun with this journey every single step of the way. It's been my greatest joy and my deepest pleasure, and it permeates every, every level of being, and there is no limit to the depth. And by the way, remember that thing, I'm comfortable with depth and intensity, and yoga has allowed me to access something far, far deeper than any of those marathons ever did. So I did feel like I found myself and connected to my highest purpose in the form of the yoga. Um, um, let me see. I was going to go somewhere with that. What was I just saying about depth and the level of the mind, well, anyway, so, but you can start to see that this practice permeates every aspect of being, and that's definitely um, the way that I address it, teach it, feel about it, perceive it, and, yeah, uh, yeah, you,
1: yeah. Can, you can attach that intensity and, and depth into every single aspect of it, and and yes, I think it's a little bit easier to um, hone in on that in the physical But the challenge is there in the mind for you to keep feeding yourself and keep the practice going basically your whole life, multiple lifetimes. So I'm curious to hear now, what does your practice look like these days? Because, you know, you've you've done all the postures and I wonder if that's still, um, you know, a challenge that feeds you and gets you excited at this point.
0: Yeah, I have a lot of different thoughts about it. I listen to a lot of your guests and, you know, some guests say, oh, you know, I've kind of moved beyond the posture and, you know, and I see myself in that. And then there are other people who say, no, as a teacher, you have to be practicing. Otherwise, you shouldn't be teaching. You know, I see myself in that, you know, like no matter who you are, I see myself in you. And by the way, that is yoga. Mm -hmm. And what I'll tell you is I've come to the realization that the practice is meant to. Now, we're talking about let's talk about the whole tree, shall we? Rather than one limb of the tree. So the practice is meant to facilitate your transformation or your ascension among other things, right? Many reasons for a practice, but one is to facilitate your ascension, I'm going to call it. And um, mine has definitely evolved as I evolved. So just reminding you to me, it's not about the posture, the posture is just the tool we use to get there, the indication that we have. um, And the body is the learning device. For the month, the posture takes you to a place of whatever it is, peace, union, love, um, forgiveness, acceptance, and you only need the posture until you don't need the posture anymore to get there. And so one of my greatest lessons, all uh, interestingly, I mean, I think it's interesting for me to hear me say this, <laughs> what I'm about to say to you, because I am going to tell you unapologetically part of my path there definitely was a time when I thought that what was great about me was my Uh posters. And I have a very obviously and clearly have a different realization now. And that is that, What's great is when you have the ability to let go of what you think is great about you, let go of those postures and still stand in your greatness or stand connected to your highest self and in your purpose and in service to others. So on the one hand, I definitely do the postures. I love the postures. I'm delighted by the postures. They're my greatest pleasure, my deepest joy. And I have learned the most extraordinary life lessons in the form of the postures. But having said that, I don't need the postures anymore the way that I think I used to have to practice every day. And my practice has involved most definitely to to include, um, you know, all eight limbs. So the first 14 years of my practice were definitely heavily absorbed in asana. And uh, then I went through that time that I call um, creation. And that's when I really uh, connected to my dharma, embraced all the lessons that lie there in the postures. and uh, But then I started, oh... I hope I have time to tell you this. Um, I started practicing and teaching yin, mm-hmm. and I recognized yin as a consciousness, just like yang, Bikram yoga, is a consciousness. And I really embraced it, because as, as um, fully concentrated, deep, and intense as I can be, I can be that still, silent, relaxed, connected, I can I can be all that on, you know, equally on both ends of the spectrum. So when I'm doing yin, I'm doing yin, the yin way. I don't put any yang in my yin, but what I started doing is playing with the consciousness because remember, I came to feel that yoga's mind centric, not spine centric, and it's about consciousness. So I, I thought, well, what if you mix the consciousness of a yin practice with a yang posture and vice versa? And I started doing things like this. Look at a camel pose, or let's say a wheel, just a simple wheel, um, in a hot room or in the, in the sequence of 26 postures, two times each and 105 degrees, a long hold on that is going to be like 30 seconds to a minute. And I thought, well, if I was doing this young posture with a yen consciousness, how long could I hold a backbend? And so I thought, mm, I'm going to see if I could hold it for like three minutes. So I just kind of picked a number out of thin air and it happened to be three minutes. And I felt like three minutes was hard, but, um, But I did it. And when I did three, I knew that I could do five. And now it's like this fire was lit within me. And you know me, I'm so I'm so deep, and I'm so intense, right? So five became six, seven, eight, nine, I could see my way to 10. Now, by the time I got to a 10 minute wheel, I was impressed with what I was learning about the modifications of the mind. And at that time, see, normally, when I post, I post kind of short and sweet one liners, like a like a one liner says a thousand words. I tend to try to do that because I think, I actually think that not everyone wants to read such a lengthy blog all the time, but this I felt was blog worthy. So I posted something about the 10 minute backbend. I talked about the modifications of the mind and what I had learned from doing it. And I said that this is quite literally like spinal fluid dripping out of my third eye, (laughs) otherworldly type of revelation in the form of a long hold backbend. And I was so inspired by this that was happening on the level of the mind by knowing what to contract, knowing what to relax, which by the way, in every posture is your face, your mind and your breath. And I was learning not to listen to those thoughts that are not true, they never have been true, they're not the truth of who you are. And when you learn to set those aside, you'll find that you know three minutes ago, my mind told me I have to quit, I can't bend. that's enough. And you know now, now it's like three minutes later, I'm still in it and I can stay in it even a little longer. So I worked my way from 10 minutes to 15, 20, 30, 35, 40, 45, I eventually did a 60 minute backbend. I did a one hour backbend. And um, I put that on the record in the form of a video. I brought Giselle in on it with me. She started training with me from about maybe 20 minutes on. So. We did that together and learned just a whole, whole lot. And, you know, again, this is the way that I teach on the level of the mind, because I do believe the body is the easy part. And again, as we can be technically masterful at conducting or executing the posture, it's not about the posture, just the tool we use to get there and the indication that we have. And that one hour back backbend was a very specific um, example of, you know, of how the body is the learning device for the mind and, you know, and all these things that I like to talk about.
1: I think that is the most intense and depth approach to a yin practice I've ever heard.
0: Well, I'm going to call that, remember, a melting of consciousness. I'm, exactly. I'm not going to call a one-hour backbend a yin class.
1: Right. No, it is the meld. Definitely
0: not. Um but just that, oh, by the way, you know, and through that process, I gained like so, oh, you were asking me about my practice. That's right. Um, I gained super keen clarity on like, what's the difference between restorative yoga, yen yoga, you know, yang yoga? Like, what, what is the difference between all of those kind of like exactly? I mean, these come to you with immaculate clarity in moments of practice, right? So anyway, my practice, it definitely includes asana. And I'm going to say it definitely includes every range of motion of the spine, which, you know, in my book, there are five. And um, what delights me the most now are the postures that really have to be, um, you know, synchronized through the brain. So I'm delighted by doing things like, let's say that you're in that wheel, but you raise your right arm and your left foot, right? And you stand and balance in a wheel on, you know, opposite corners, one hand, one foot for a minute at a time. That's tricky. It involves the brain and it, it involves a lot of, you know, like self-awareness and, uh, things like no hand headstand that require a lot of traction. And, you know, there are like a lot of lessons I like to like to talk about inherent, uh, in those lessons that teach you about not only the modifications of the mind, but also the kind of the self-awareness of the body. I don't yeah. know if we have time to talk about what I would call a deep practice, but that's a natural segue into this thing I'll, that I really like to talk I'll about. Buy it.
1: I'll bite on that. <laughs>
0: yeah! Woo-hoo. All right. Um, so when people look at my pictures and they think of, like, what is a deep level of practice, they they would think that I'm thinking like a legs-blocked headbutt, right? But that's actually not what I think of a as a high level. That's a deep level of practice. It doesn't mean it's correct or spiritual. There's Look, there's any number of combinations. And I am going to get off on a little bit of a tangent here. Fine. Um, I've had some, I want to call it... Um, it almost looks to me like almost like reverse discrimination where people look at me doing a deep posture and they go, that's not yoga, that's gymnastics or that's not spiritual. It's ego. You know, yeah, <laughs> there, yeah. there's like a, just a lot of like, okay, first of all, hear me, a lot of judging a yoga practice that alone you know? yeah. in and of itself, there's the oxymoron. I would invite you to have, you know, to hear yourself talk. Right. But here's what I think. You can be a practitioner who is not deep at all and you can be doing yoga. You can be a practitioner who is not deep at all and you can not be doing yoga. You can be a practitioner who's extremely deep and you can be not doing yoga. You can be a practitioner who's extremely deep and you can be doing yoga and every combination exists out there, right? But I think a lot of people like to point at one and say that's not yoga, but I think that's really more about them at this point than it (laughs) ever was about me. And so then then I probably felt defensive about that for a while and I definitely no longer do. Um, but what I was talking about was, um, the segue into that had to do with depth in a practice. It was really important. Where were we before that?
1: Um, we were talking about some lessons that you had learned in, um, you know, doing different permutations of the wheel for several minutes, doing the headstand and traction with your hands away from your body and, and what that, what you could learn in there. From a practice to take things deeper
0: mm, okay well I think that I, got, I probably went straight to the right story that I was supposed to tell <laughs> I was okay. really into it <laughs> yeah. um, and if it comes back then it'll be important that I say it so but we were talking about um, the deeper levels of practice and the things that are more intricate as they matriculate okay. through the mind and, you know and, and the uh, lessons inherent in that so I guess we'll we'll leave that as it is for now
1: okay yeah. <laughs> well, Kim, um, apart from getting your message out on this podcast, I know you've got a lot going on. What are you doing these days to live your dharma at this moment in your life?
0: Um, I, well, uh, yeah, I think I think Mar- I have already said it. I would just um, I feel cool. the same way. It's still the same answer. It's always done in pure time. It's always done in a field of trust, non-judgment. Um, when I'm teaching yoga, that's what I think facilitates transformation and um, addressing it on every level of being. So when my dharma is in the form of teaching yoga, that's what it's looked like, that's what it looks like. But definitely, for sure, my dharma now is far less about how I serve, whether it's in the form of yoga, it's far more about a natural state of being, who I am. Um, My energetic contribution in the world Um, connecting to my highest self and coming from love in pure time and recognizing the cues that that the universe presents and that that that's how I am meant to serve by virtue of this conversation by virtue of this energy, you know, by virtue of this contribution that actually just more like who I am has become my Dharma in my life.
1: Yeah. And 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 I love, I love that subtlety. You know, it's more about the intention behind everything you're doing than the actual tangible things that you're putting that intention into. But if you do, you don't, I'm not going to, you know, pressure you on this, but if there are any of those specific things you're channeling your energy into right now at this moment in your life that you care to share with our audience, you're welcome to.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, um, I think I was mentioning to you that I really live my life guided by uh, intuition now. And I also believe in perfect timing. And so the way that the two of those come together is this. I'll have an intention, I'll plant a seed, and I'll kind of like let it go. And when the energy comes for me to take action, I recognize it and I do it. So in this way, I feel like things come with less resistance and in perfect timing. So um, I've had a lot of... um, for the past two years, I've had this extraordinary, um, oh yeah, you were asking me what my practice looks like. (laughs) My practice looks like self-cultivation and self-cultivation leads to service. And in in my early days, the self-cultivation was most certainly in the form of asana. And that's definitely a very high, uh, level of service for me. But, um, my self-cultivation now has come through intensive, spiritual study and self-study and spiritual work. And that actually is a level I love to share myself on, uh, now. So I'm doing a lot of that. And actually I feel like it's an energy that people in response to, because I receive messages constantly from people who sometimes they want help with a posture, which, you know, absolutely. And then sometimes they want help with like learning to love themselves and to which the answer is like, absolutely. Right. So, um, yeah, I've been spending a whole lot of time just doing um, a lot of spiritual work, which I love to talk about, spiritual study, which is very expansive. And that becomes my my dharma, my service. It is my practice. It, it's all eight limbs encompassing. So... Um, Let's see. We brought in a little yin, a little yang. I brought in a lot of a lot of pranayama, a lot of different types of meditation, which facilitated, by the way, healing, chakra activation, chakra opening, balancing, which naturally led into um, healing energy, which is definitely an important part of my life right now. And then, um, yeah, I have my what doesn't my practice include?
1: Right, exactly. I guess well, what what does yeah. Hey, it's fully integrated at this point.
0: When I talk to you about that um, kind of self um, self study, spiritual work, and spiritual study that I've been doing and and I told you I'd love to talk about the specifics of that like what do you you say well what is that spiritual work like literally I've created I don't want to say drills but like exercises or assignments spiritual assignments just the way you would do homework to strengthen a muscle in asana because you know yoga is life and I don't see anything else I don't I don't see it any other way yoga is life there's nothing that isn't yoga at this point um as it filters through me but um in the year 2018 so here we are in like the end of July, which is what the seventh month. So we have like 28 weeks in 2018 so far, or or something like that. Um, I told you, I do a lot of breath work. And I actually do um, kind of a Kriya rebirthing, holotropic type of breath where I'm reborn every Monday in 2018. I float every Tuesday. And I always go into that tank with like a spiritual assignment. I do a lot of different types of um, meditation
1: That's like the the Pratyahara tank, basically. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) It is complete. Yeah, as a matter of fact, you know, if people don't know what that is, you go into a tank and it's complete um, sensory withdrawal and sensory deprivation. So we're trying to eliminate um, the, you know, uh, interaction, impulse, um, not to receive information through the eyes, not to receive information through the ears, not even to receive information through... Uh, the feeling senses, like the water is the same temperature as the body, and you're in a zero gravity field. So basically, all you can hear are your breath and your thoughts. And that's where you can really get in there and do some powerful work with your thoughts. Because, you know, again, I believe that every single thing that you see in your life is what I would call an outpicturing of your consciousness. And I believe that every single thing that you see in your life um, is a reflection of what's active within you. Um, On some level, even if it's a level that you don't think that you're consciously in agreement with, there might have been a collective agreement made in fear, a precognitive agreement of what your soul is here to learn um, a limiting belief, you know, it, it just, it just comes in any number of forms. And so you got to get in there and get to the source of it and ask the right questions to get the right answers. And when you can hear absolutely nothing but your thoughts and connect to your breath, then that's just a great, powerful place to do it. So yeah, I'm a huge fan of the, uh, of the float tank. And uh, by the way, the sound baths, I happen to live, uh, hop, skip and a jump from the Integratron. And I highly recommend that anybody travels to the high desert to go there. Shout out. It's a, um, It's basically a sound bath in an acoustically perfect sound chamber on a triple energy vortex. You know, uh, every single thing about that is activating, um, purifying, cleansing. And um, I do that every month as well. And as a matter of fact, the last time that I went there, I actually booked the entire day and I did five sound baths in a row. (laughs) And uh, I went in there with kind of a spiritual assignment.
1: I'm sensing (laughs) a pattern with you. (laughs) <laughs> of intensity
0: <laughs> yeah you know i mean i can't be any other way and i'm and i don't apologize for it it's actually yeah, it's kind of like in. the greatest part of who i am and it actually is um how i did what i did uh it's you know it, and it's why i'm best able to serve and that is the point of the dharma is that i have absolutely accepted my essence as my strength and so i've fully and self-cultivated there. until my cup runneth over and you know i like to tell the story like i planted a seed a long time ago and i nurtured the seed and I nurtured the seed and I nurtured the seed and it took root and started to sprout. And I nurtured the seed and I nurtured the seed and it grew a trunk with some limbs. And I nurtured the seed and I nurtured the seed, you know, and it grew leaves and flowers and the flowers went to fruit. And I nurtured the seed and I nurtured the seed and the fruit actually sun ripened and vine sweetened and fell off. And I nurtured the seed and I nurtured the seed. And at some point I went, oh, Jesus, wait a minute. Because I was like picking up the fruit and giving it away. And I realized that that was my first and foremost, that was my greatest pleasure and my deepest joy was giving away this fruit that I had, you know, harvested through nurturing the seed, but I was still focused only on nurturing the seed. And at some point I did say to myself, oh, actually, should you not like enjoy a little bit of the fruit, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm only now actually kind of enjoying the fruit, (laughs) but I actually enjoy sharing the fruit. More than anything else, and so that's another way of telling you what is my dharma. <laughs> so you've got a whole, yeah, orchard. By... <laughs> whole I, orchard. I do a to share. To share. Yeah, and- You better believe it. And uh, by the way, there's no limit to that. So I think that as the personality egoic self aligns to the soul's purpose, then you harness that unlimited potential that just continues to expand as long as you continue to align to it. And that is your highest service. So I I do feel like I am. uh, That is a state of being. Uh, it's not about doing or having at this point, it's about sharing and serving. And I do see it that way because giving and receiving are one and the same and sharing and serving are my greatest pleasure and my deepest joy. So I feel very blessed. I feel very fortunate and I wouldn't change a single thing I always say that I always say no changes and even in the midst of the hardest shit that comes my way and believe me You know, I know it looks all like pretty imperfect out there But there's some big shit that comes my way and even in the midst of it I look at that and I just go no changes, no changes, no changes, you know and because I'm guided in this way that I know that It will be exactly as it's meant to be and in the perfect time and that I want to make sure I get every single lesson I need to learn and by the way, you know That's how you remove the obstacles from your life is getting what you need from them and then they disappear, right? Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah Well, just as you feel blessed and fortunate, I feel blessed and fortunate to have had this time to connect with you. Can we finish up every episode with what I call the Prana Round? And I know you listen to all the episodes because that's (laughs) your intense nature. So you know. Oh, I
0: enjoyed it. Hey, can I tell you that the benefit was mine for doing that? Like, you know, I really felt like I got to know them. I got to know... Who they are, how they serve, what they have going on. I appreciate. By the way, that's your service. I well, appreciate you. Saying you. That. Yeah. You, no, uh, it's obvious. This is all about dharma. This is part of your dharma. You are a conduit and a facilitator. And what you have done is created a like a, a, a concentrated resource of of energy, of consciousness that's available in one location for a whole lot of people. And, mm-hmm. you know, whether all of your guests speak to the listener or whether, you know, some more than others, whatever it is, we're all better for having access to that resource. I appreciate what you did and I appreciated what they all contributed. So, yes, yes to you. It's a yes, Henry. <laughs> <laughs>
1: thank, thank you so much for saying that. And yes, that's, that's, that's what this is all about. I mean, I'm, I've created this show to give all of you, all of my guests, an an outlet to share your unique messages and gifts. So I appreciate that you recognize that. And I'm really happy to, you know, give you a a turn in, uh, in front of the microphone. So, okay, let's, let's move on to the Prana round.
0: Okay. Yeah. I'm going to share it far and wide and ask everyone to support it as well. So I'm ready. Bring it.
1: (laughs) Okay, Number one in one word. Why do you practice yoga?
0: Can it be three words?
1: Sure. Three words. (laughs) Only for you to
0: become. <laughs> thank you. To become invisible.
1: Ah, that's a new one. Okay, what's <laughs> your favorite yoga pose and why?
0: I am gonna have to say um, one arm bow legged peacock. It's something that I mentioned one-armed. to you before. I had assigned a very specific value. Um, To this posture and when I actually achieved the posture through all the work that took place not only in the body and the mind uh, Then I was in the full spiritual realization of the value that I had assigned to that posture Mm -hmm. so for that reason that posture
1: What is the single best cue or piece of advice you've ever received from a yoga teacher?
0: Please Please Make every choice, every single choice, no matter how small, no matter how big, like what you eat for breakfast, or how you live your life, as if you loved yourself deeply and completely.
1: Recommend one book, modern or ancient for our audience.
0: Um, the Paul Selig books, which are channeled teachings of Melchizedek, and I'm going to say specifically the book of knowing and worth
1: Okay, is yoga for everyone?
0: I'm gonna have to draw in on uh, Well, first of all a huge yes because yoga is life <laughs> <laughs> Remember remember first and foremost. I believe that it's not a 90-minute class, you know a, a stretch class in a hot room yoga's life And, uh, it's not the one hour class. So to me, the journey to the self through the self is a required course ultimately (laughs) for everyone. So sooner or later, yes.
1: Mm -hmm. Sooner or later. Yeah. Okay. Last question. (laughs) How can our audience get in touch with you and how can we support you in your Dharma?
0: Thank you. Um, The obvious things, listen, I don't really work my Instagram and I know that that's the way now it's a, it's a channel. I appreciate it as an energetic channel and I need to be better about it. Um, so follow me on Instagram. Um, and Facebook and, uh, share my posts, schedule privates with me. I do a lot of privates and I think that's actually kind of like what I'm best at. I absolutely love the one-on-ones. I'm really good at kind of like diagnosing what's working, what's not the moving parts. So I do a lot of privates and they're pretty effective. I do a lot of coaching. Um, if you've already been a student of mine, go to my Kim Tang Yoga Facebook page and, uh, rate me and write a review. Um, attend my events, encourage others to ask your studio owners to invite me. Um, and I'm getting ready to put together some retreats and some um, online e-learning, and so you can find me there. I'm here to give, and I—that's uh, only good if I have someone to give to. <laughs> so yeah. if my yeah, if my message or my skill set resonates with you, then please support me and ask others to do the same. I'm ready to serve on a higher capacity, and there's—I can really feel there's, um, you know, I have more energy than I have. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, venues and so yeah bring it
1: thank you for all that you're doing thank you for your service and thank you for sharing it on dharma talk today kim it's been a pleasure
0: my pleasure henry thank you and to the audience i love you very very much
1: got something out of this episode if you like dharma talk and want to keep it going please do me a huge favor and subscribe rate and review on itunes i know it's not the most convenient thing to do but it makes all the difference in getting the show out there and more visible to other people who can benefit from it and hey if you've got feedback or ideas or you want to get in touch with me you can do that on instagram at henry wins otherwise i'll talk to you next week and until then Keep living your darling.